0: Alright everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. We just got out of the theater and all my popcorn is gone, so I guess it's time to talk about another one of the top 50 best movies of all time, The Searchers.
1: Yes, The Searchers from 1956 was rated number 12 on AFI's top 100 list, but we're only doing the top 50, so number 12 on top fifty. Um, It is directed by John Ford, written by Frank S. Nugent for the screenplay, and it's based on the book by Alan LeMay. It does star a number of different people, uh, most notably John Wayne as Ethan Edwards, and Jeffrey Hunter as Martin Pauli. I don't remember how they were saying it in the
0: movie. Uh Neither do I.
1: (laughs) Those were the two main characters. They were the searchers. But also starring Vera Mills as Laurie Jorgensen, Ward Bond as Reverend Captain Samuel Johnston Clayton, Natalie Wood as Debbie Edwards at age 15, and Lars Jorgensen was John Quaylen. There was a number of others, but I think I'm just going to skip it because... We'll talk a little bit about their characters during the plot summary, but most of the characters were fairly standard Western tropes. Which is unfair to say about this movie, because this movie was one of the movies that established the tropes that happen in Western movies. So we'll just dive right in and talk about the plot. Ethan Edwards comes home after serving with the Confederate Army in the Civil War. The movie starts when it's 1868, so it's three years-ish after the surrender.
0: Yeah, so, by the way, um, he did not surrender. He still had his cavalry sword, and there was a major, uh, not confrontation, but discussion about how he would not be someone that gave up his sword, and so the war had been done for three years you're kind of led to believe that he'd been doing something for that three years, but it's never really clear what.
1: That's true. Uh, he does have an awful lot of knowledge about the land and the people who live on the land, though, so there's that. But Ethan Edwards, this, this is the first major event of the movie. Ethan Edwards comes home to his brother's home, and they he meets the new... The new family members, because Debbie is like eight at this point. So he's been gone for a while. He thinks that Debbie is her sister, Lucy. There's a number of different things. So there's a big to-do. And then the next day, the Texas Rangers come through. I, I'm trying to...
0: I think the captain's slash... Preacher was a Texas Ranger as well. Maybe he was a captain of the Rangers or the Marshals. I'm not really sure how that went because they just were kind of throwing out titles left and right.
1: Well, he was Reverend Captain in the cast list, so. So
0: maybe yeah. he was captain of the Marshals or Texas Rangers, or I think they played that a little fast and loose.
1: It was odd. It was a very odd scene. It was like 20 people stamping through their kitchen, eating stuff, drinking coffee, sitting in the rocking chairs, and a whole lot of exposition got dropped. Basically, Mr. Jorgensen, Lars Jorgensen, his cattle were stolen in the night. So Captain Samuel Johnston Clayton comes through and swears uh, swears in Ethan's brother, whose name is... Alan? Aaron. That's Aaron. Uh, so there's an Aaron and the adopted boy named Martin, and they go off to find who stole the cattle, which they're pretty sure it's the local Comanche tribe. So all the men ride off, except for Aaron, who stays back behind on Ethan's insistence to protect the homestead. They ride off about 40 miles, which seems like a really long way.
0: Bef- On horseback, that's about a day if you play role-playing games.
1: <laughs> but they ride out for about a day, figure out that it's likely a ruse to get everybody away from their homesteads so they could hit the homesteads.
0: Well, so, John's Wayne, John Wayne's character thought that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they all ride back um, to the Jorgensons and the Edwardses, and it turns out they hit the Edwardses' house, not the Jorgensons. So, when they get back to the Edwards house, um, Ma and Pa Edwards, uh, Aaron and his wife and their son are all found dead. Uh, They have, like, a teenage son. He's, like, 13-ish Ben. Uh, And they're all found dead. But the two girls, Lori, who is a teenager or a young lady, and Debbie, who is a little girl, roughly eight or nine, they are taken. So they go galloping off to search for the two girls. <clears throat> Along the way, they get into a confrontation with the Comanche that injures one of them, Jorgensen, I believe. And they have to take him back to uh, to the homesteads. And they leave Martin and Lori's beau, Brad and ethan to go basically they determined that it takes a small band or a really big band of soldiers to do what they need to do which is basically either infiltrate very quietly get the girls out and leave or take a regiment of soldiers in attack and get the girls out and leave so one or the other and they figured the numbers they had they were too few and not enough So they left the three to go do the infiltration and along the way they found Lori dead. Well, Ethan found Lori dead and Brad went off when he found found out and basically did suicide by the Wild West version of suicide by cop. Uh, He ran off to attack the Comanche tribe and got shot dead knowing full well that's probably what was going to happen. So that left Ethan and Martin as the two searchers. And they track this tribe through the country for a couple of years and then come back.
0: Yeah, for a couple of years, uh, a lot of the movie is them doing various scenes of talking to people, writing, finding leads, and basically searching for Debbie. Right. Who they
1: assume is still alive. Uh, because Martin pretty much has to assume that she's alive, otherwise he'd fall apart. He's pretty much falling apart anyway. Martin, um, as a baby, his parents were killed by Comanche and Ethan found him, and Aaron and his wife raised Martin as their own. Um, so he's not technically an Edwards, he is a pol- poly, poly. Um <clears throat> So he's writing with Ethan, who's actually quite mean to him through the whole thing. I know Steve said yesterday it's because he was a hardened man, but it comes across as being kind of unlikable um, because Martin doesn't do anything to really deserve the treatment he gets.
0: To Ellen, it comes off as being unlikable.
1: All right. (laughs) That's what I was saying. Fine. To to Ellen.
0: He's just a man's man. He's John Wayne. (laughs) He does say
1: a whole lot. That'll be the day. I think he said that like five times throughout the whole thing, which was fun. (laughs) That'll be the day. Anyway, so they leave to go search again because somebody sent a clue uh, closer to New Mexico ish. So they go in that direction and meet with the store, the, the general store outpost owner, who ends up just having sent it basically to roll. Ethan for his money and so they come out and ambush them but John Wayne's character being John Wayne's character figures out that's what's happening so he uses Martin as a uses Martin as a piece of bait and the band of outlaws attacks and they all die so they're left with nothing pretty much at that point Um, so they decide to go to an Indian outpost and do some trading and in the process of doing some trading, some hats and different trinkets just to keep relations open so they can maybe get some information in the process of the trading, Martin ends up with a wife
0: and kind of a comical scene. He basically was thinking he was trading for a blanket And he was actually trading for a woman. Um, And then there's kind of a comical scene of him realizing that. And Ethan, John Wayne's character, making fun of him. And then...
1: Yeah, that whole thing doesn't really stand up to the test of time that much. It's not that it was... Flat Out Racist. Last night, I, I did say it was racist, but I don't think it was flat out racist, but it definitely was a sign of the times. That scene would not have been in a modern Western, at least not in the form that it took. So that's, I mean, that's neither here nor there. This was made in 1956. It was a different time. They did look at cowboys and Indians a little differently than we do. Um. So that happened. They end up in New Mexico where they find one of the crazy guys, well, the crazy guy who's a part of the band back home, who gives him some information and leads him directly to the tribe of Comanche that has Debbie. A Mexican trader takes him out there. But it turns out that the chief named Scar knows that they're coming and knows what they're there for, so the Mexican trader gets spooked and basically is like, You guys need to run and Ethan was like, nope, not gonna. And the Mexican guy's like, I'm sorry, I can't stay. And so they get attacked after Debbie runs out to try to warn them to run. But Debbie tells them that this is, our, this is my people now, because at this point she's been there for five years and is married to Scar, I think
0: and it's really odd that she's these are my people i'm not leaving and then later on in the movie she's like okay thank you for rescuing me but at this point i don't know maybe they needed more run time she kind of fights them about wanting to leave and then they have to run because all of the comanches now are following them and they're basically running for their lives without debbie
1: so, they do run.
0: And they oh, run. and uh, Ethan's character, Ethan's uh, character, John Wayne, um, wants to shoot Debbie because she's now a Comanche. She, she is no longer the white woman Debbie.
1: Yeah, I think it has something to do with, like, it would be humane to do that in his mind, but... I'm not, they don't really explore that a whole lot, but I I bet it has something to do with abduction stories that have happened throughout the United States' history. People who've been abducted by Indian tribes end up going a little crazy because of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and things like that, where you start to sympathize with the people who took you captive and...
0: And Ethan wasn't having (laughs) it course he didn't like native americans he had a thing against them definitely a thing against the comanche so that's i think also played into the fact that he wanted to take debbie out and his traveling partner basically was like no you can't do that and then the group of comanche kind of ride into the scene and they have to run for their lives leaving debbie behind
1: so they run They go back home to the homesteads, the Jorgensen homestead specifically. In the process of all this, we've kind of skipped past kind of a subplot. Marty is um, involved with the Jorgensen's daughter, Lori, who is hot-tempered. A Texas woman is what I'm kind of gathering. She's kind of, but she is in love with Marty and Marty's in love with her. But Marty won't say it because she's supposed to already know it. In the process of this whole thing, he writes home, and the only event he basically writes home about is the fact that he got married to this Indian woman.
0: Well, there were other things that he discussed, but that's what they really um, took their time on.
1: So Lori accepts the proposal of a traveling salesman, I think he was...
0: I honestly have no idea what he was. He played the guitar and sang, is all I know.
1: And his name was Charlie. And he laughed like, ha, ha, ha.
0: And he talked (laughs) really weird all the time. (laughs) Almost as if he wasn't a real person. Which was, once again, odd for the movie, but okay.
1: Yeah, it was really weird. And I did have to laugh at his laugh every time he laughed. Because he actually said, ha, ha, ha. He didn't laugh. It was weird. So the day they come back, of course, is Lori's wedding day. So Lori and Marty have a confrontation because as Marty's going in, Lori's coming downstairs in her wedding gown. They talk, they work things out, and in comes her fiance. And Marty and Charlie get into a fist fight, which was a comical scene as well. In that before they start, Marty helps him take off his good coat. They have to save a fiddle from the band. They have to... You know, there's like all kinds of... They were very gentlemanly about beating the crap out of each other.
0: Yeah, there was a little um, comedy thrown into the movie at that with their spat for the woman that they both love.
1: And then Charlie basically says to Lori, you gotta choose. And she, of course, chooses Marty. And then a... A lieutenant from the local regiment um, comes to report... Um,
0: that they found Scar and that they're sending a team out. And so Ethan's like, we're going. And the captain, uh, the priest's captain, uh, says that we're going and you're not going to stop us. You can help us if you want, but we're going in guns blazing, basically.
1: Yeah, they, they had a score to settle and they needed to get Debbie. And they're really close to the homestead. So, then fast forward to the next day. The lieutenant actually comes back and rides in with them.
0: Once again, the lieutenant kind of played for comic relief.
1: Ish, yeah. He's serving in the regiment with his dad being the captain. Um, he's a young man. I believe he's actually played by John Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne. Uh, so, he's a young man. And kind of green and takes out his sword a lot, and the captain is nervous around him with his with his saber out. But anyway, he rides in with them. Good on it. <clears throat> they go in, they Marty finds finds Debbie, tries to get her out, kill Scar in the process, because Scar comes back to the tent. <clears throat> they go running and A bunch of stuff happens, basically. There's a big
0: battle between the cowboys and the Indians.
1: And then in the process, Marty and Debbie get away. And they're in a cave hiding place. And Ethan finds them. And Ethan comes running to Debbie. uh, Marty yelling, no, no, no. Because Marty's pretty convinced that Ethan's going to kill her. But instead, Marty lifts her up like he did when he was a little girl and just says, come on, let's go home. And they ride home.
0: And then everybody gets home. There's this big celebration, basically, as everybody in the house is running out to kind of congratulate the heroes as they're riding up. There's this kind of ending scene where... It is framed by the door. Uh, Everything else besides the kind of the frame, the arch is kind of dark. And everybody is kind of seen, almost kind of reminded me of like the end of a play where everybody's kind of coming out and taking their bow. Well, they're kind of coming into the house. So the parents will come into the house and Debbie will come into the house. Uh, The the new young couple comes into the house together and then Ethan, John Wayne, starts to kind of come towards the door and, you know, kind of like that planes drifter, the, the man's man, he turns around and starts to walk away as he's going to his next adventure or whatever as the lone cowboy and the door kind of closes on the scene.
1: That's the plot.
0: There you go. Okay.
1: All right. So the characters, I think that we should, this should be very quick. Ethan is John Wayne. Every character that John Wayne plays is Ethan. Ethan is John Wayne. I I don't know how else to say it. He's a man's man. He's tough. He's seen some stuff. He speaks slowly with his little drawl
0: that'll be the day you get something over on me pilgrim
1: right (laughs) It, it fits really well into the western genre like it's a slow talk it's a swagger it he's cool he's tough and he's cool so that's ethan i mean he does care about his family but he's really closed off about yeah,
0: it. I mean, you can tell, um, especially as the movie goes on, that Ethan does really care. It's just that he's been at war. He's been off doing his own thing. So, he's not a lover. He's a fighter.
1: Yeah, he's, he's seen some stuff. Yeah. Um, Martin is the other main character. Martin Polly, Polly... He's a young foundling who was raised from the time he was a screaming infant slash toddler to adulthood by the Edwards family uh, because his family was killed by Comanche. He's soft. He loves his family. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a kid.
0: The sidekick.
1: He's definitely a kid. Yeah. uh, The,
0: The Robin to John Wayne's Batman.
1: And he disagrees with John Wayne quite a bit. There's a lot like a lot of the scenes with them or him yelling at him to be nicer to him or him yelling at him because he disagrees with how he handled something. But throughout the whole thing, you start to John Wayne's Ethan starts to soften to him. Uh, Martin's the more accessible character for the audience, I believe.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
1: (laughs) So there's that. Then you have the Jorgensen's, who are neighbors to the Edwards. Uh,
0: Lars Jorgensen is... Just a rancher family. I mean, there's not really, in my opinion, there's not much more to say about them. Mrs. Jorgensen's the tough lady. The tough old lady who, who... Who was a teacher.
1: Yeah, they keep saying that. But Mrs. Jorgensen and Lori are obviously purebred American. Lars is an immigrant, I believe since it's Jorgensen spelled with a J from a Scandinavian country. Uh he talks about how the country's really hard on the cattle, which it would be, but I'll get to that later. <laughs> but how it's just really hard to be in that country. And his his wife is just like, you know, it's gonna get easier. It might take us going into the ground But this country is big country. We're Texicans. That's what they called themselves. Texicans. And that's the way it is. So Texicans are tough and they stick it out. Uh, The Edwards family, again, they were only in a couple of scenes. Um, Aaron Edwards and his wife. Ranchers. Just like the Organsons. The Organsons we got to spend a little bit more time with. There was a little bit more personality. But the... The Edwards family was Aaron Stoic and a rancher. He does his work, he's quiet. His wife is uh I think kind of in love with Ethan was the idea. She took real good care of his stuff and um but Ethan wrote off and left them and then they end up dying. I know that sounds awful, but the dog didn't end up dying. I was going to actually probably have to check out if the dog ended up dying. I know that sounds bad, but he was a good puppy. Um, They sent, uh, once they figured out the Comanche were getting ready to attack, they sent Debbie to a hiding place, and that's how everybody else died or got taken. Uh, They found Debbie by happenstance, and so she got taken.
0: Because they pretty much rode right up on her.
1: Pretty much. The hiding place was a horrible hiding spot. <laughs> but the Edwards family were pretty much an average, standard pioneer in family. I, I don't know how what else to say about them. Uh the Reverend Captain Samuel was fun. Um he was the Reverend. So he did you always had to ask him if he was asking questions as the Reverend or as the captain of the Texas Rangers. Uh he was gung-ho in both of his positions i i don't know i mean he was just fun he was just a fun character he had well, some... most
0: of the side characters were just there as as caricatures of something or other
1: my favorite of the caricatures was moe's who was the crazy one that they find later in the plot in near new mexico that um he all he wanted poor guy all he wanted was to sit in a rocking chair in front of a fireplace. Like, literally, he didn't want payment. That's all he wanted. And so through the whole thing, that's basically he's doing everything he can to just be able to sit in that rocking chair by the fireplace.
0: Yeah, it was odd. Because in the beginning, he's in the scene where everybody's kind of coming into the house and everybody's talking at the same time. And he's he's liking the, the rocking chair and everything. And then... It just seems like he's part of the guys that come in, part of the posse or whatever. And then you come to find out he actually has a mental disability. And it was just weird that they threw that in there, but... Scar was scary.
1: thats I mean, that's all I can say about him.
0: hes me- I mean, he's meant to be scary. Obviously, it's a 1950s movie, so he's not as scary as... Mm-hmm. but he's meant to be the stoic Comanche killer, basically.
1: Although he did have a funny line. Uh, Ethan Ethan tells him, because he speaks English at one point, Ethan tells him, you speak American well. Did somebody teach you that? And so as they're walking in to do their trading, quote-unquote trading, uh, <clears throat> Scar says, you speak Comanche well. Somebody teach you that? Ah. So, yeah, he got a chuckle out of me, but he was still pretty frightening. Um, They did a good job with direction of him. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Comanche culture, so I don't know how well they captured that. But as far as the caricature that 50s Westerns gave us, they did a good job of staying consistent in their own culture that they created. Mm. Um, But the only other Native American that really had any sort of play was Look who was Marty's
0: wife. Yeah.
1: And she was sweet. And as accommodating as she could be until they brought up the name Scar and she got scared and ran away. Um. Yep. So there you go. Those are all the characters that go into the plot, that factor into the plot. Well, Lieutenant Greenbush or whatever his name was, he actually... He actually won the only award that this movie won, uh, Golden Globe for new, Best Newcomer. Um, he was fun, but he was only in, like, three scenes. Yeah, true. So, I mean, he was just a what behind the ears lieutenant in the army. And
0: totally played for comic relief.
1: Pretty much. They made fun of him reporting to his dad as his commanding officer. Go tell your paw instead of go tell your captain. Go tell your paw. Right, right. <laughs> Um. So there was a whole lot of that, but I, it was a, after the movie was over last night, I did have a hard time figuring out how I, how I liked the movie. I have seen it one other time before in a film class I took in college, but that was 20 years ago and I didn't remember a whole lot about it, whether I liked it or not. Mm. Um, I didn't even remember really the plot. I knew they were searching for a kidnapped girl, but I couldn't remember even if it was a kidnapped by Indians or by outlaws. Or That was about the only thing I remembered about it. Um, I will say, John Ford really, really likes Texas or the landscape of the West. There's a whole lot of time spent painting the
0: that's one of the tropes though that's uh, that's Mm -hmm. the the western trope
1: well john ford was one of the pioneers in developing that trope he this movie is very epic and it's sweeping shots of texas and the west with the rock formations and the, the plant life and even the wildlife to a certain extent they almost spend as much time he almost spends as much time developing the landscape, kind of, almost like a character, as much time as he spends with that, uh, with the other characters, like it, it's developed just as much as Ethan is, almost like a character. You, know, you see how rough it is, all of the canyons and mountains and hills, and how dry it is, and how inhospitable it is, but it's beautiful. And right, I don't know how else to describe it, but John Ford movies are all very similar in scope like this. Cause he loved his Western landscape. He loved the West. Uh, pretty much everything about it. That's one of the things, and you can tell every movie that he does, it's just these huge sweeping things. And he films it in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico, um, uh, in order to actually, you know, on site get some of these things. Like you said, they live right next to devil's tower,
0: yeah, well, it looked like Devil's Tower, but then again, there's probably a lot of rock formations like that that look like Devil's Tower. But <laughs> I mean, where they, especially com- if they're in Texas, it probably wasn't.
1: But I mean, it's it's a beautiful movie to look at. Is all I'm trying to say. It it's beautiful, especially if you like the rugged Western landscape, complete with cactus and sagebrush and. It's it's a beautiful movie to look at. Uh, the plot is more of a character treatment than it is actually a action packed western.
0: Yeah, there's not as much action as you would think in more of a modern movie. A lot of it is them kind of talking to each other, searching for Debbie, getting into hijinks, whether it's with the family back home. Or with people they encounter as they are searching for Debbie. Um, there's really, in the two hour movie, there's maybe, I would say, three or four good fight scenes, um, shooting scenes, you know, Western shootouts and stuff. And for the length of the movie especially from a more modern perspective it seemed like then to me that there wasn't a lot of action going on
1: yeah and even even without like shooting or whatever there wasn't even really that much forward momentum of the plot action it was just it was a lot of talking it was still a good movie it was still well done it just wasn't i mean even even a slower western like unforgiven in the modern times, still has more forward momentum of the plot. It, it doesn't, it doesn't stall out. And I think this movie did stall out quite a few times, where we were just kind of watching them on their search. Like we weren't. Modern storytelling gives audiences clues when there's like a mystery or a tracking thing. The searchers really didn't. We got the clues as they got the clues. We had no idea what was happening a lot of the times. So there's that. But um, I will say that as much as I do like John Wayne, I don't think he's that great of an actor. I think he's the actor of the same caliber as Jack Nicholson or Nicolas Cage, who plays kind of the same character over and over and over again. Character's cool. And it fits really well in the movies that he's cast in. The directors knew what they were doing. And it's not really any insult to anybody who likes John Wayne. It's just I don't think he's an Oscar-worthy actor at this point. At least as far as the stuff that I've been seeing from him.
0: Well, and uh, me on the other side of it, I mean, I think he was just fine in the movie. I think his acting ability, the way he portrayed his character was very fitting with everybody else's acting in the movie. (laughs) Which... So, I think, I mean, honestly, I think it fit very well. I didn't... I can't say from the movie that I thought he was a bad actor because seeing this movie and realizing it's from a different time, it made me kind of think, well, maybe that's the way people acted in that time. And so, it, it definitely, for me, he fit the other actors portrayals and as a cohesive movie, it worked for me.
1: It worked. I just, I just feel that I need to say that. Um, he's, it's not that I'm not going to enjoy John Wayne movies. I really do. I, I love Westerns. I even like John Wayne Westerns with the pretty standard. Almost all of his Western movies are pretty standard tropey Westerns. The, And he plays the, not stranger, because he never plays the stranger, but he does play the long lost blank, long lost brother, long lost friend, long lost, and he's seen some stuff, and he comes to town, and he's tough, and then he takes out the bad guys, because that's what John Wayne does. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie represents, is... Kind of the beginning of an American movie trope, an American movie genre, uh, and there's a number of them. But this, the Western movie, is most definitely an American movie genre. Uh, it it's based around being in the American West, so it's pretty much the only one that is strictly American. And so, just to say John Wayne is not a great actor, that's all fine and good. But he was a part of establishing a very American art form. Yes. Uh, John Ford as well. Shoot, lots and lots of other actors. But when you think of Western, you think of John Wayne. You think of the the scope of John Ford. You may not think the name John Ford, but you do have images that come to mind from John Ford. So this is... Um, almost certainly why the searchers is on this list and why it's on the list at number 12, which is really high up is that this is a perfect example of a genre Western. It doesn't really stray from. It's kind of like, um, to make kind of a a similar thing. The first Halloween movie is the first slasher flick. And because these are like the first movies, they don't stray from the tropes. They check every box period because they're not experimenting with the format they're establishing the format so um that's why in my opinion the fi the american film institute rated it so high on their list
0: yeah i mean it's it's the standard western it's the like <laughs> ellen said it hits the tropes it hits the Huge sweeping vistas. The man with the, a past that is uh, fighting whatever group that is attacking basically the American white man values. I mean, it's it's whether it's the the outlaw gunmen, the Indians, the uh, con- uh, Union Army against the Confederate, the lone Confederate soldier, a la um, some Clint Eastwood movies. Um, it hits all of those; those it hits many, if not all, of those tropes of the Western film. And I think the reason that this one is on it is because it hits so much, tro- so many of those tropes. American westerns are an institution of a type of film. And so this being one, not only that hits all of those buttons, but being a John Wayne film and a John Ford film, it had to have been on the list.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, John Ford and John Wayne had a team up, um, had a partnership that lasted quite a few films. But this one is the film that just personifies everything that they work together to kind of build. Um, I don't know how much John Wayne had to say in, like, the actual framing of a shot or anything like that. But he definitely created that character, The, the loner with the past. I mean, he created that character and many other actors came to perfect that character. And, I mean, Clint Eastwood basically played the same character over and over again in all of his spaghetti westerns, too. Because you have to, in an American, well, I guess Spaghetti westerns technically not an American movie. It's an Italian movie, but whatever. But in an American Western movie, you have to have the stranger with the past. Or the guy who's been gone so long, he's now a stranger with the past. Um, otherwise, some of the stuff just doesn't work. Some of the other tropes just don't work. Um, so Westerns are a thing that I really enjoy. Probably not as much as Steve does, but I do enjoy Western movie.
0: I do like a good Western.
1: Uh, so I'm going to say that this, the searchers do deserve to be on the list. It is, however, one of the first movies that we reviewed that did not get a nod from the Academy for anything. Uh, so that was an interesting dichotomy. After I mean, even Lord of the Rings got some nods on special effects and things like that. But uh, 1956 was a little early for things like special effects. (laughs) So like they didn't even get some of the technical Oscars that were available then. Uh, I don't know what they were up against that year, but honestly, acting probably wasn't deserved in the Academy. But I think the writing probably could have been or the directing could have been. So I don't know. But it was an interesting thing to kind of see a pop culture movie, period. As opposed to an icon movie, like Streetcar Named Desire. So that was... This is our first pop culture only movie, pretty much.
0: So did you like the movie?
1: I think so, I did. I would have liked... I Because I am... a. I am used to a more modern storytelling. I would have liked to have had some more forward movement of the plot during the course of the two hours. But overall, I really did enjoy it.
0: Yeah, um, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, Ellen, like uh, Ellen said, and like I agreed that I am a uh, big Western fan. Um, however, most of the Westerns that I have seen have been Westerns made within my lifetime. Um, So we're talking Tombstone, um, Wyatt Earp, uh, Young Guns, and one of my favorite movies of all time, Open Range. Um, So it is interesting to see kind of where those movies came from, um, kind of their ancestor. And yes, it was a little slower than I usually like. Um, however, I thought that it was very interesting. I thought that it was great to see where some of my favorite movies came from. And I, once again, like Ellen said, I wish there would have been a little bit of forward progression. It was interesting that there was so much time spent on them kind of searching and not really gaining anything from it. Um but overall, uh, I thought it was a fun movie and um, would watch something like it again.
1: Oh, good. There's a lot of John Ford movies out there that you can uh,
0: watch <laughs> and enjoy.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, next week, we will be reviewing bad movie called Dracula vs. Frankenstein from the 70s. So it's an actual MGM monster movie.
0: We'll see if there's any disco
1: probably not. It's hmm. it's it's Dracula and it's Lon Chaney. So actually it should be a lot of fun should be. But I've not seen this movie, so it might be awful. I don't know.
0: All right. Well, that being said, it does look like they are lighting the lamps on the streets of Royville. So without further ado, everyone stay safe out there and have a good evening.
1: Bye-bye.